0: Now, we're studying in the great book of Colossians, and Paul's work in particular is my assignment. You remember in Colossians 1.24 through chapter two three, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God which was given me to you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid for ages and generations, but now hath been manifested to his saints, to whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ, whereunto I labour also striving according to the power that worketh according to his power, which worketh in me mightily, for he said, I desire that you know how long for you, and for them, how greatly, in fact, he uses that expression, long for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, they being knit together in love, and at all riches of the full assurance of understanding, that they may know the mystery of God, now what is that? even Christ, and in the last verse assigned to me, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. Now, there are some great lessons in this uh, material and a short period of time to cover it. But let us note first that Paul said, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf. I remember that Jesus said in Matthew ten, twenty-four and 25, the disciple is not above his teacher, is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough that the disciple be as his teacher and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more them that are of his household. Now, Paul said that a a part of his work for Christ was suffering. He later wrote 2 Timothy 3, 12, which he actually had experienced. Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul suffered because of sin that entered the congregations, of sin that entered into the lives of the various members of the congregation. And Paul often cried. He was not an effeminate man, but he was a man who was compassionate and tender like his master. For example, I remember in Acts 20. 17 through 19, when he was at Miletus, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called to him the elders of the church, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, after what manner I was with you all the time, serving the Lord with all lowliness of mind, and with tears, and with trials which befell me by the plots of the Jews. A lowly service of trial mingled with tears was Paul's work with that congregation. Later in that same chapter, in Acts 28-31, he said to the elders, Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit hath made you bishops, to feed the church of the Lord which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, within the eldership. from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Now, I know verse 31. Wherefore, watch ye, remembering that for the space of three years, I cease not to admonish everyone night and day with tears. When Paul learned of the adulterous man at Corinth, and wrote the first Corinthian letter, he was crying while he wrote that letter. Now I read that for a long time before that dawned upon me. I know that's so because in the second letter in Second Corinthians two, four, he said, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. When he wrote the great Philippian congregation, he said in Philippians three, seventeen and eighteen. For many walk, in 18 and 19 in particular, For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping. He was crying as he wrote this. For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is perdition, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. To the Colossians he said, Now I rejoice. In my sufferings for your sake. And the ultimate of all of the sufferings of Paul, I think are best stated in second Corinthians eleven, twenty three through thirty three. He said in labors more abundantly, in prisons more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in deaths off of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of rivers, in perils of robbers, in perils from my countrymen, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and here's one of the saddest of all, in perils among false brethren, in labor and travail, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things which are without, there is that which presseth upon me daily, anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is caused to stumble and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things that concern my weakness, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. He who is blessed forevermore knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus the governor under Ardius, the king guarded the city of the Damascenes, Damascenes in order to take me, but through a window. In a basket, was I led down to the wall and escaped his hands? Paul said a part of his work entailed his suffering for his brethren. In fact, in First Corinthians fifteen ten, in regard to comparison to the other apostles, he said, "I labored." More abundantly than the all. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now listen, there is only one church and I certainly want to have a proper attitude about everything. We must. Paul and Barnabas so spake that a great number believed, in Acts 14, 1 through 3, even though they had the truth, if they had so spoken that nobody had believed and their attitude was wrong, they would have been responsible. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, But sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord, being ready always to give answer to every man that asketh you a reason concerning the hope that is in you. But note this, yet with meekness and fear... So we must be kind and considerate. But Paul said, having therefore such a hope, we use great plainness of speech in 2 Corinthians 3.12. And in Galatians 4.16, he raised the question, am I therefore become your enemy But telling you the truth? Now there is one church and only one church. As Brother Larry Moore used to say, I would be ashamed to be afraid and afraid to be ashamed not to tell the truth on that matter. There are many people today who talk in generalities, never get to the point that there's one church. But you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, And it's put all things under his feet, and given to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And in Colossians 1:18, And he is the head of the body, of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, the Bible said there's one body, and says the one body is the one church. It's the same institution. But somebody might say, well, that doesn't say there's just one church. Now, if I hold this little testament here, and I say, brethren and friends, I own one copy of the New Testament, somebody might say, well, maybe he has another one somewhere. But if I say unto you, brethren and friends, I own one copy of the New Testament, only one copy of the New Testament, you would know I do not own another. Now then, we can understand that kind of language. If I can locate a passage that says, since the one body is the one church, if I can locate a passage that says there is but one body, only one body, that settles it for those who believe the Bible. It's settled whether people accept it or not. I've heard the expression, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, I wouldn't word it that way. I would word it like this. God said it, I believe it, but that settles it whether I believe it or not. It's the truth. Now then, in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty, but now are the many members, yet but one body. I'm not ashamed nor afraid to say that. And I wish somebody with greater ability could say it, but if I could say it on international television, I would say it. And it would be an honor to say it, because I believe what the Bible says about it. And Paul believed that. If I were to remove my watch and put it here and say, Come up here and take the watch of your choice. Brother MacDonald, come and take the watch of your choice. You know, he would respond and say, Well, Brother Elkins, if I take any, I'll have to take the only one that's there. There's only one. Well, there's only one church. I think nearly everybody can understand that. We have a place called Bolivar here in West Tennessee. I held a meeting there And they had the students from the school of preaching to come and do personal work. They kept them all week, letting me come home every night. But um, somebody said they put a preacher in there, or in a place like that, and you might wonder why. And by force of habit, he got up to speak, and he said, Why are we all here? And somebody spoke up and said, Because we ain't all there. (laughs) Now, I believe that uh, if we're all there, we can easily understand what Paul said. There is one body. But he said, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the dispensation of God which was given me. Now, when we think of the word dispensation, we normally think of a period of time, like the patriarchal and the mosaic and Christian dispensation. But the word dispensation here is from a, is a different Greek word, which literally amounts to this, stewardship. Paul is really saying... I have a stewardship from God to preach the gospel. And my favorite passage, as pertains to my responsibility as a gospel preacher, is 1 Corinthians 9.16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. So he said, Whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which was given me to Eward to fulfill the word of God. Now, what is that mystery? The next verse he says, Even the mystery which hath been hid for ages and generations. You know, the Ephesian letter has a lot to say about uh, the mystery as well. But then he says, But now hath been manifested to the saints. And then he continues by saying, To whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of of this mystery among the Gentiles. And you still, at this point, if you didn't know any other passage, wouldn't know what that mystery is. But he said, which is Christ in you? The hope of glory. Now in the Old Testament, it was predicted that Christ would come. He came and Paul proclaims that he came. Now we know he's He's coming back again as well. But now notice, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Now, Christ is our hope in spiritual matters in every way. He, for example, is our hope of guidance. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The old prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Christ is our only hope of salvation. Peter said in Acts 4:12, "Neither is there salvation in any other: for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also may obtain the salvation, now note where it's located, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Now, being children of God, as most of us are, Christ is our only hope of intercession. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.25 that he ever liveth to make intercessions for us. And in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one that hath been tempted in all points, like as are we, and yet without sin. Christ is our only hope of immortality. Paul affirmed that of Christ in 2 Timothy 1.10 in the latter part of the passage, when he said, Who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He is our only hope of the resurrection. He is our only hope to live forever in the eternal hereafter with him. But not only so, Paul said, that's, whom, that's what we preach. He said in verse 28, whom we proclaim. Now, all of my life, I've heard denominational preachers. And now, unfortunately, I'm hearing uh, among us, some who are espousing the denominational views of this matter, I hear people talk about we ought to preach Christ and leave the church out of it. We should preach Christ and leave baptism out of it. Now, Billy Graham has been saying that for a long time. But listen, Billy Graham and Philip do not preach Christ in the same way. The Bible says in Acts 8, 5, that when Philip went down to Samaria to proclaim unto them the Christ, in verse 12, we have the outline of a sermon given, that is the basic points, three in number. But when they believe Philip preaching good tidings concerning the kingdom of God, there's the church, and the name of Jesus Christ, there's his authority, they were baptized, there's baptism, they were baptized, both men and women. By the way, no little babies were because they are not subjects of baptism, they're pure. So he preached Christ. But what did he preach? He preached the truth about the church of Christ. He preached the truth about the authority of Christ, Colossians 3.17. And when they heard that, they heard him preach that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's subject was, was Christ. Acts 2.22 He said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God unto you by mighty works and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, even as ye yourselves know. He preached Christ. Then they wanted to know what to do to obey, what to do to get rid of their sins. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then they, that gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls... In verses 38 and 41. But that's what Paul preached. In 1 Corinthians 2 2, he said, For I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In 2 Corinthians 4 5, he said, For we preach not ourselves. Well, if we do not preach ourselves, whom do we preach? But Christ Jesus, but not only so, Christ Jesus as Lord. And what's our position? and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I remember that Paul said in Galatians 6.14, But far it for me to glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul said he preached Christ, whom we proclaim. Now then, in proclaiming Christ... What did he do? Admonishing every man. Paul believed in preaching the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when he said, Men will not endure the sound doctrine, but having itching ears will heap to themselves teachers after their own lusts, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. What is the faithful preacher to do under those circumstances? In 2 Timothy 4 or 5, he said, But watch thou, be sober in all things, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill thy ministry. Whom we proclaim, that is Christ, whom we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Have you ever thought about the fact that you seldom even attend a funeral? or a wedding, but that you hear something quoted or read from Paul. And then you think about the preaching that we do and the teaching we do in our classes. Someone has well said that Paul was a Christ-intoxicated man, and they meant that in a good sense. That is, you cannot open the writings of Paul to any place. Let me word it like this. If you open the writings of Paul, any in any of his writings, you will not read very long until you read something about Christ. I remember, for example, to the Philippians he said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And verse 23 he said, But I am in a strait betwixt the two, having the desire to depart, and to be with Christ, for it is very... For better. Paul taught the people in all wisdom. And Paul likewise taught them by his life. I remember that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, Be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And to the Philippians he said in Philippians 4, 9, The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace he said, We'll be with you. Paul said, Anything you ever received from me, anything you ever learned from me, anything you ever heard me say, anything you ever saw me do, you practice that. And God will approve you. You know, I've thought of that passage a many of a time. It's a humbling experience to think of that passage and to examine yourself in the light of the Scriptures. That's the kind of teacher, and that's the kind of Christian, that's the kind of man Paul was. Now, having said that, he said, "...whereunto I labor also." This is what he had in mind, this is what he was trying to do, striving according to his working. Now he said, "...which worketh in me mightily." It's an amazing thing when you study the Bible. The more you study the Bible, the more you want to study the Bible. And the more you study the Bible, and as Billy mentioned this morning about Sister Arnold, I preached my first sermon at Woodbury, and Sister Arnold was in the audience. He mentioned this morning she'd read the Bible through 49 times and told Sister Smith that she was beginning the 50th, then the next day, An outstanding student, in fact, a very scholarly lady, but I never shall forget some of the things she said to me by way of encouragement after I had preached my first sermon. And so that was Paul's attitude. Whatever Paul did, he did it with all of his might. When he was a persecutor and a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and he later described himself as chief of sinners during that time, according to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, he was just as zealous for that. But once he learned the truth, he left no stone unturned in trying to teach people and to get them to go to heaven. I remember in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen that he said... And most gladly will I spend and be spent for your souls, the American Standard says. And I believe the King James on your behalf. And then he went on and raised the question, If I love you the more abundantly, am I loveless? But Paul still loved men. In Romans 9, 1 through 5, among other things, he said, I could wish myself anathema or accursed from Christ, for my brethren's sake, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I've read that passage a minute of a time. I don't know which one of us could say that and mean it as did Paul, but I know he did. That was his attitude. Now then, in verse 1 of the next chapter, he said that he would have them know, I would have you know how greatly I strive for you. And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. It's amazing at Paul's uh, schedule, so very, very busy, and yet how he took the time to enumerate individuals and in congregations and said for them, I'm praying for you. Brother Gus Nichols said in my presence once that he was in a gospel meeting in a town where there was only one member of the church, a godly Christian woman, rather large numbers I think were attending, and Brother Nichols had to lead the singing, lead the prayer, and do the preaching. But he said every night, just as he arose to go up to the lectern, that that sister would whisper to him and say, Brother Nichols. You do the preaching, and I'll do the praying. You know, that's a fine combination. Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, "...in nothing be anxious, but in everything but prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. For I would have you know how greatly I strive for you, and for them at Laodicea, out and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh." Incidentally, in Colossians four sixteen, we learned that Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea. Now, the Holy Spirit did not see fit to preserve that one for us, but He said, "And when you have read this epistle, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that la- that, that you likewise read the epistle to Laodicea." I've heard people say many, many times, trying to defend denominations, "Well, there were seven churches in Asia." Well, there, there were seven congregations, and it's talking about the church in different geographical places. Paul wrote a letter to Colossae, which is recorded for us, and he wrote one to Laodicea, which we do not have, and he said that teaching is to be used interchangeably. And the seven churches to Asia, Laodicea is one, as you know in the book of Revelation, but they all had the same teaching. They were not different kinds of denominations, because no denomination existed for hundreds of years. But then he said, that their hearts may be comforted. You know, if time permitted, there's so much could be said along that line, but we just just do not have the time. That their hearts may be comforted, they being knit together in love. Now, especially ladies know what knitting is. There was to be a closeness, being knit together in love. And unto all riches, he used that in the first chapter, in the passages that we discussed a few moments ago, about the, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here he says, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. I wish I had the time to go to Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, and talk about that mystery a little bit more in detail. Because he's going to mention it right here again. In fact, he says that they may know the mystery of God, even Christ. Perhaps I could at least allude to that. Paul said how that revelation was made known unto me, uh, the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby when you read, ye can perceive my understanding in the mystery of Christ. And then he said, which in other generations was not made known unto the sons of men, as it has now been revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And then he reaches the climax of explanation in verse 6, to wit, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the body, and fellow heirs of the promise In Christ, through the gospel. And although to me the time has flown, it may seem like a long time to you, I'm going to have to conclude and conclude with verse 3. Speaking of Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. Let me just mention two other passages to sum this up in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. How many spiritual promises can you name? Can you name a dozen, a thousand, ten thousand? Well, name whatever number you, you may or can. They're all in Christ. In 2 Corinthians one twenty, Paul suggests that they're all in, in Christ. For how many soever be the promises of God? In him is the yea, wherefore also through him is the amen unto the glory of God. Through us, How many spiritual blessings can you name? Name whatever number you can find, and they're all in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all our every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Thank you for being attentive, and thank you for coming to the lectureship, and thank you for the good work you do.